Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. This is episode 798. My interview with Rich Karlgaard about his new book, Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. Enjoy the show. G'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast, guys. I hope you're having a kick-ass day. Guys, I'm about to bring you an interview that I did with Rich Karlgaard. He is the publisher of Forbes magazine and the author of several books, and his latest one is called Late Bloomers, the power of patience in a world obsessed with early achievement. Guys, this is a really important topic. It's a really important conversation. Uh, It's enjoyable, but it's also very inspiring. And what we're talking about here is really how through our education, how we just got it wrong. The system isn't working anymore. We we squish our curiosity and our, our natural ability to follow our gifts and our passions and to put it in a purposeful manner that creates a beautiful journey in life because we're obsessed with this idea of early achievement. We see other people achieving amazing things and that's fine, some people do. We get fortunate enough to achieve their gifts and their passions and their their success early on in life, but it's not for everyone. There's plenty of late blooms and there's plenty of reasons to be satisfied with your lot and to be satisfied that this is your journey and it's okay to be a late bloomer. And what it's all about is really self-discovery. It's about following your passions, finding with curiosity what it is you love and then doing it in a way that takes ownership of your journey. Take responsibility for your life so that you can lead an extraordinary life. No matter when your success may come, no matter what level of success that may be, you're actually just gonna enjoy the process. You're gonna enjoy your journey because you're doing what you love, not what everyone else wants from you. Guys, enjoy this conversation with Rich Carlgarden. Rich, welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. How are you today? Uh, well, thank you for having me, Lee. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. You are enjoying the mo- the afternoon. You're in California. Yeah, yeah, and we've uh, it, we were going through a patch of hot weather, but now it's uh, just beautiful, perfect upper seventies. Okay, and you just mentioned that you've got a game to watch uh, this evening. Yeah, the Golden State Warriors. I live in uh, Silicon Valley, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, and the Golden State Warriors, which have been the dominant professional basketball team are uh, up against the Toronto Raptors, best of seven series, and the Warriors are behind three games to two, and so their backs are up against the wall. So this is a big deal, hey? Oh, it's got the Bay Area, you know, it's <laughs> got its hooks into everybody in the Bay Area who can fog a mirror. I just, I, I can't sort of visualize what the uh, what the climate's like, what the, the atmosphere is like at such a um, such a game, but I, I assume you watch. Are you watching at home for, with your family or friends tonight, or what's the situation? Yeah, indeed, I am watching it at home. And um, but we've got a good Australian on the Warriors, Andrew Bogut. Okay. See, I don't know enough about it, but um, there you go. That's interesting. And what do you do when you watch a game? Like we, I'm just thinking, we have the Origin here at the moment, rugby, and. Um, you know, there's there's three games that we watch. It's one state versus the other, basically, um, and usually it's a, a group of mates or family um, getting together, having a barbecue, and having a few beers and watching the game. Is that sort of similar to what you guys are up to, or how does it work? Yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and maybe more than a few beers. Yeah, well, there's always that, isn't there? How exciting! Well, Rich, look, I wanted to jump into the show today and talk about your new book. It's called Late Bloomers: The Power of Patience in a world obsessed with early achievement. I feel um, just having a, a quick skim and um, a read of the blurb, etc., that it's quite an important and inspirational message. And um, I really want to throw it over to you, but something that I read 
um, was that in late bloomers you reveal how and when we achieve our full potential and why today's focus on early success is so misguided and even harmful. And perhaps we can start there. What is it about the world today and has it changed dramatically or is it still the same as it was 50 years ago where early achievement is, is, is without a doubt the, the focus of most people? Early achievement is a good thing. Early, I applaud early achievers here in Silicon Valley where I live. We've had plenty of early achievers throughout the decades. Steve Jobs was 21 when he founded Apple. Yep. Mark Zuckerberg was very young. He was still in, at university when he founded what became Facebook. Sergey Brin and Larry Page were grad students at Stanford when they founded Google. And so we celebrate them, and we should celebrate them. Hmm. The problem is, is that what happens to the person who doesn't achieve on that kind of a timetable? What we've done in the United States is that we've put under this assumption that everybody should go to the best college they're capable of getting into. We put an extraordinary emphasis on standardized test scores and on grades. And that's become the path to success in the United States in the two most lucrative industries, which should be high technology of the Silicon Valley kind and high finance of the Wall Street kind. Mm. It's pretty much a closed club if you didn't go to an elite school like Harvard or Stanford or MIT. It's becoming that way. It wasn't always that way. Steve Jobs is a college dropout from a college that nobody's heard of uh, uh, outside of a couple of states, Reed College in Portland, Oregon. And you don't see stories like that so much anymore. So why are we doing that? And why is it causing harm? Well, it's causing harm because if you're one of those kids who doesn't do well on standardized tests and you don't have the the focus mm. to sit down and, and get good grades, um, all you know is that coming through the school system in the United States today, that, that somehow you're a loser, you're second rate, you couldn't cut it, when the truth may be a lot more complex. Your skills were, are, are, are situated elsewhere. Yeah. They're not in school. Number one. And number two, people mature at different rates. Mm. I like to tell the story in my book of how I was 25 years old, 25, and I still couldn't figure out what the heck to do with my life, despite having a university degree. I still I was, feel like that today. Yeah. I'm yeah. 37, 38. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, despite having a university degree, I was, uh, I could hold no job greater than a night watchman and a dishwasher. Mm. And one night when I was a night watchman at age 25, I had the graveyard shift at a trucking firm and I was making my rounds, you know, in my little security guard uniform with the badge and I had a flashlight and, and I heard a dog barking and I swung my flashlight around and there on the other side of the fence was a Rottweiler looking at me, yeah. Did, wasn't too happy to see me. And it occurred to me right then and there that at age 25, my professional colleague was a dog. Hmm. And so, you know, a couple months after that, Steve Jobs would take Apple public at also age 25. Wow. So I was those people who was just ragingly immature. I, I literally felt, Lee, that my brain didn't come together until my late 20s. I'm sure everybody around me, including myself, thought I was deeply flawed, immature. I was immature. And um, I, uh, people around me had grave doubts that I would ever amount to anything. I had grave doubts. Was that, that more a, a conscious thing that you were developing about your own story rather than the actual the facts of the matter? Because, I mean, if you look around, um, and I can certainly relate to your experience there, there's so many people who probably feel the same. And, and I mean, we just conjure up these ideas of who we should be and, and who we aren't 
rather than um, actually basing it on any factual evidence. Yeah, well, that that's true. And the factual evidence that, that does exist uh, seems to work against us because we look at peers of ours who are going off and doing amazing things and at, at an earlier age. Mm. So I wanted to write this book, Standing Up for the People Who Bloom a Little Later, yeah. who come into their own a little later, almost always in an unconventional way. I really like that. The um, couple of questions there, I mean, first of all, I assume, and I don't really know, but I assume there's always been those early bloomers, if you will, people that have had early success, you know, like the Steve Jobs that you mentioned and um, the few other people there. Um, Throughout our history, I assume there's these people that have just stumbled into success early on and found their genius, which is great. Um, And also that most of those people that have had that early success um, didn't do so well at education and they've gone out on a whim and, you know, um, become very fortunate. Yeah, well, what blooming is all about is, number one, it's going to occur on your timetable and nobody else's, and it's going to be your path of discovery that's going to put you in a place where you can bloom. Because I like to say blooming is when you find, through a process of discovery, you find that perfect intersection where you discover your native gifts, your deepest passions, and your sense of purpose. And Mm. it's your purpose that turns your, you know, that, that gives grit to your passions, uh, passions on their own are fine, but uh, you can be passionate about a movie you saw or food that you ate, and that's not a deep passion that you're willing to sacrifice for. Purpose is that gives you that that you know that absolutely laser-like focus where you will 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 sacrifice. So when you put those together, you sense that your gifts are being used, your passions are being tapped, and you have a purpose. Then you don't feel like you're being pushed. By other people's expectations, you feel like you're being pulled, pulled up by your destiny, a destiny that has your name on it. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love that too. And, and I talk a lot about those, those particular things and, um, you know, that whole process of self-discovery I think is really important. Um, just going and back to that. We're discouraging that today because if you think about, if you think about in the affluent world today, I'm sure this exists in in, in the larger cities in Australia, too, in Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne and mm. Perth, Adelaide, that if you're if you have parents that are uh, middle class and above and they're professionals and they're educated themselves, they're going to want you to be like that even more so. Yeah. And that's where you start getting this pressure to achieve in school very early. And so what happens is. You know, we don't think about it this way, but we're asking kids to trade their curiosity and to trade their discovery for a determined focus. Well, you know, I think the the discovery is what needs to happen first. Mm. So, what's, I mean, what's changed here, and what's at fault? Is it is it the education system, the fact that we base ourselves on measurement? Um, I mean, I, I sort of feel that's changing too, and, and a lot of you know talk. We no one has the right answer for it, but there's a lot of talk about how we can change that. And I believe, and I don't know um, how thoroughly this is happening in the United States, but you know, college is becoming less and less um, a requirement for a lot of employers. Well, then you're ahead of us, and I applaud you on that. And I know that I don't know um, if that's a fact here either, but I've just heard yeah. that in snippets. Yeah. Well. Um, that would be a necessary correction at this moment in time. Hmm. We need to get back to this idea that people will blossom 
at, at different points in their lives. Not everybody will, will blossom at, at the same time, and not everybody's on a timetable. And in fact, here's what happens when you, uh, when you tell kids that they have to trade their curiosity for a determined focus so they can sit still and they can and, and practice for their standardized tests and get up at four in the morning to keep ahead of their studies, which is happening. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, yeah. It, it blinds people from, it blinds people from what they might really be good at. It causes a lot of anxiety, depression, even suicides here in the United States, you have rising levels of anxiety, depression, and suicide among teens and young adults. It's tragic. Well, it's one of the biggest um, illnesses, or well, becoming it anyway, depression. Yes, yeah. And if you feel like you're second rate, if you feel like uh, you know it was beaten into you that here's how you prove yourself, and um, well, imagine you're you're um, you're a rugby fan. Now imagine imagine that, that kids were given a standardized test, and they were measured for one sport. And let's just say that the school system determined. That we're gonna we're gonna rank you and sort you based on how well you do when we test you for this one sport. Oh man, and what a file. That sport is, let's pull it out of a hat, running the marathon. Hmm. Well, you know, that's gonna be great for kids who have that aerobic talent. That's gonna be kids, you know, that favors skinny kids. It favors distance running favors a certain kind of mentality and a body style and everything else. And if you're if you're the most gifted potential rugby player in the world you're explosively fast you're strong you're fearless you like contact um you won't be you you will if you're tested as a marathon runner you're not going to do well Hmm. that doesn't your skills that's kind of what we're doing the school system today we 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 we're pushing into people people into areas yeah certain skills get rewarded and and others and other areas get ignored entirely well they don't even get um they don't even get discovered, do they? That's right. That's right. Because if you're getting pushed to run a marathon, and that's what I found at school, and I think a lot of people, probably 90% of kids at school find, is that you're getting pushed to, to focus on certain areas which you just don't enjoy rather than getting to explore um, some internal passions and desires and, and curiosities. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's what it is exactly. And it really annoys me that when people of my generation, I'm presumably older than you are, look at some of these young people, the millennials, and, and they, they think that they're soft. Hmm. Well, if anybody bears responsibility for millennials who are stuck, it's, it's people of my generation, pe- people of their parents' generation who have sent all of these wrong messages, and they've left these, they've left these young people demoralized. So I want to break that chain. My mission with late bloomers is to break that chain and really reveal how it happened, why it happened, and then um, and then after we lance that boil, uh, then get it out there. Why? Here are the unfolding gifts that you're likely to have over the course of your life. Here's what neuroscience says about it. Here's what psychology says about it, and it's it's very encouraging. It, I, I share with you the idea that we all we all have something that could really animate us and give us, you know, that, that taps into our gifts and our passion and our purpose. And, um, you know, we need to create more opportunities for people to do that and encourage them to go out and take the risks and find them themselves. Mm. But do you think a big part of the problem, not only on our current education system and, and how, uh, you know, our previous generations have pushed 
um, current generations. Do you think it's because we're so connected these days as well that we are now exposed to all these early successes and we can see, you know, people out there doing wonderful things, even though they might have shit going on in their lives that we don't want to see or never see. But we're just so we're, we're just in constant comparison. Do you think that's oh, really a, oh, a you know, yeah, problem? I think, uh, yeah. Oh, I think it is an absolutely huge problem, Lee. Hmm. That's the problem with Facebook and Instagram and and all the rest is that we compare what's going on between our ears and in our heart with these curated stories that other people where they're always putting their best foot forward and showing their best. Nobody, nobody posts about the, the, the rainy, miserable, cloudy day and you know, the semi depression that they're going through and the bills that are piling up and the dog that's getting sick. You know, it's always about some fabulous vacation they're doing or some triumph that, that they've, they've just had. Mm. So there's a there's a saying, you know, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. Mm. But social media is the greatest medium in the world to that 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 basically, you know, um, causes people to do that. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, I, I can see that as a big part of the problem, and um, and it, it goes both ways too. Not only are we comparing ourselves with other people that are doing really well, and maybe then going, oh, geez, we really suck in life, um, but we're also tapping into messages of of other people's, you know, discoveries and journeys. And we're, we're starting to, you know, I guess, um, vicariously live through those messages rather than, you know, going through our own journey of discovery. Does that make sense? It makes sense completely. And, you know, that process makes us passive. Hmm. Now, of course, you, you provided the clue there that if we can see other people's journeys and find ones that we can relate to and extract really good lessons from them, if we know that that's what it's really all about, and that then it becomes a power and a tool rather than than a shaming mechanism. Hmm. So where do we begin in, in unraveling this issue and, and starting to, you know, accept that this is our journey and and appreciating our own discovery? I think it's really helpful to know a couple things. It's helpful to know what how the brain unfolds over the course of our lives. Yeah. For example, for young people, they should take comfort in the fact that the prefrontal cortex of the brain isn't fully developed until our mid to late 20s. And so if you feel like, you, you know, if you're in your 20s and you feel like things haven't gelled for you, well, maybe you're not fully formed yet. Some people, it's a bell curve. So some people have a fully developed prefrontal cortex earlier. Some people, you know, in their middle 20s and some people, it might be in their late 20s or even early 30s. So we mature at different rates. Yeah. So I would encourage people to look at that. And then I would encourage people to look at what are the things, what does neuroscience say about the, the things we're likely to do best? And that's kind of useful to know as a tool. For example, um, there was a study done by Harvard and MIT that came out in 2015, and they asked a simple question, at what age do we cognitively peak? Hmm. And um, it's not a simple answer. It's a very complex and intriguing and ultimately hopeful answer, because the answer is, well, what cognitive abilities are you talking about? Yeah, right. and you're talking about rapid synaptic processing speed and working memory, the things that make you a really great software programmer under pressure, yeah, those peak in our 20s. When you talk about communication skills, um, executive skills, leadership skills, empathetic skills, 
our brain doesn't even develop for those to really get good for most of us until our 30s, 40s, and 50s. And then in our later life, you know, we develop the neurological skills that support wisdom. So we have this, we're constantly evolving. Mm. And so I always encourage people to lean in the per, lean into the person that you're becoming. Don't go back and try to be the person you you thought you could have been, but missed that opportunity because you, you you're changing all the time that that is happening. Yeah, but the individual, you know, evolution, I suppose, or the biology that makes us ourselves. Everyone's going to be different in that respect. Everyone's going to, you know, mature at different ages. Everyone's going to go through this process at different stages. And knowing this, I guess, is comforting. But how does it solve the problem of us comparing ourselves to early bloomers and still uh, suffering because we're not achieving all that we think we should be achieving? Well, Late bloomers may get the short end of the stick in terms of the media celebration of achievement. They may get the short end of the stick in terms of their own parents' expectations or or their the school administrators' expectations. They may get the short end of the, the stick even in their own mind. Hmm. And what what you have to do is declare independence of that. You have to say, you know, screw that. Yeah. You know, I am who I am. Um, I am a, you know, I, I think it's helpful to believe that, that you know, that you're a a child of some divine creation, and because if uh, I find it helpful, if you if you know that, then you know that you're not here by accident. Hmm. And if you're not here by accident, then there's some kind of a purpose for you. Now, people who lack that faith can also find their way to declare independence to define value in their themselves. But you have to have this inherent sense of of self value that hmm. whatever self doubts you're going through momentarily that is not you know learn the habit of never connecting that to your self-worth yeah yeah that's very true and what what other discoveries have you made through psychology and neuroscience that might be beneficial in helping us understand this process this journey of discovery well go back and rediscover your curiosity Hmm. because you you may have grown up in a family where you were pushed you may have grown up in a uh, and a family where you were neglected, but in any event, you were probably got the message that your curiosity was a, a, a triviality, something that little kids get to indulge themselves into. But once you are quote unquote maturing along, you know you've got to put your your curiosity aside. Curiosity is the beginning of all good things. Yeah, it's yeah. the beginning. Back and you know, if, if you feel like your curiosity has been disrespected or you haven't given it enough of a free reign. Go back and discover it, because that's that's the start. That's the start of your journey. Did you discover or find how best people can go about tapping back into that curiosity? Because I, I feel that a lot of us have lost it because we're, you know, we're pushed through, you know, the, these measures and tests um, throughout our education, and that just, I guess, squishes uh, our curiosity to a point where it becomes very complacent it's probably still there but we just we don't explore it anymore well i'll tell you my own story i remember i told you that at age 25 i couldn't hold a responsible job yeah one of the reasons is because in college instead of knuckling down and getting good grades i just was incapable of studying for more than 15 or 30 minutes and then i would get bored and i would be in the college library and i would find out that after or, or after 15 or 30 minutes all I wanted to do is go back into the stacks where they are, had hardbound copies of magazines. 
And my favorite magazine at the time was Sports Illustrated. And I read back issues of Sports Illustrated. I read them from the beginning uh, of Sports Illustrated in the 1950s through the present time. I read them backward and forward. I fell in love with the writers. I fell in love with the way that magazine came together. None of that, all of that took me away from my grades. Yeah. All of that was stuff, though, that maybe 10 or 12 years later, when I had an opportunity with a friend to start what became Silicon Valley's first business magazine, all of a sudden, that now became very valuable. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a business magazine that had the, that had the punch that a sports magazine had. And we called our magazine Upside, and it was exactly that. We punched people in the nose. We wrote clever captions, headlines. We had a rollicking good time. But we also did very well-reported stories, and, and we were a big hit. And that was my breakthrough in my entire career. Wow. And that was just because you uh, yeah, couldn't stand sitting there doing your studies yeah. or whatever that you explored yeah. your yeah, curiosity of reading magazines. Yeah, I was goofing off. Everybody would have told me, any, any professional expert – um, probably my parents too would have told me, you know, Rich, you're wasting your time. Why are you even in college here if you're reading back issues of Sports Illustrated? Hmm. But it turned out that was my education. I got a PhD in Sports Illustrated, and I was able to use all that knowledge, deep knowledge, knowledge that I got on my own path of discovery and my own passions. And it was just waiting, awaiting an opportunity for me to put it to use. I didn't know that at the time. I thought I was goofing off too, but at least I was having a good time when I was goofing off. Yeah, well, you're combining that, that your self-curiosity and passion. Um, I mean, you're going to learn at a higher rate when, you, when it's something that you're interested in. We know that. Uh, and then it's just a matter of formatting in a way that you know can help bring you achievement in, in some form if you wish to make it happen like that. Yeah. And so I would say that, that uh, you know, we have to have the courage to get on our own path of discovery, to know that we're not um, lame, we're not lazy, we're not shirkers. Now, I'm not advocating for anybody to ask that somebody else support them while they do this. We're under an obligation, I think morally and financially, to fund our own path of discovery. Mm. About the only way that parents can blow it or, or young people can blow it is to say, I need you to fund my journey of discovery. Well, that, that doesn't usually work out that well. It usually funds a long party. But, it, you know, when you're, when you're funding your own path of Well, you, again, you're taking ownership, aren't you? You're taking your responsibility in your own hands, and I think that's going to add to that, yeah. that um, I guess, the, yeah, the ownership and the passion. Yeah, yeah. Um, because then you find out whether your discovery is really meaningful. I mean, if you're willing to tolerate having a, a night watchman's job or something like that as you pursue the, your own paths of discovery, then then it does have meaning. Yeah. I think there's a couple of good um, points in that too. I mean, when you're you know reading those Sports Illustrated magazines, without knowing where that might take you, at least you're enjoying that part of the journey in life. You know, you're not squallowing and in, in doing something that really is distasteful and, and I guess, um, or they call it soul crushing. Um, as you, as you move forward, you're doing something that you actually enjoy. And I guess there's a lot of parents out there would, you know, look at their kids and go, you know, what are you wasting your time with that rubbish? You know, whether it's playing a video game or doing something else that they don't believe is, is quite right rather than, you know, studying and going to university and, and cramming for an exam. Oh, yeah. I think, well, I, I think you nailed it. I think that video games are now the way we're, particularly for boys, um, where parents and everybody else is worried that their boy is spending way too much time on on video games. I mean, my wife and I went through this with our son. 
am who just loves video games. And then he discovered, you know, uh, socialized video games where he's playing against somebody else in the world. And, and, um, and we would hear, uh, that's where he learned how to curse, you know, <laughs> we would hear foul language coming out of his bedroom as he's playing these games, but he, we'd hear this raucous laughter too. And, and, and we were, you know, being older, we thought, well, oh my God, you know, he's learning how to curse. He's, you know, learning how to shirk his homework, et cetera, et cetera. He's not getting outside enough, but it was slowly emerging that he was, he was learning things, uh, learning how to communicate in his own way. Um, he's a very well-spoken young man today. Um, none of this did him any harm. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got a, um, I've got a cousin who spent a lot of time in computers, and and he's made quite a quite a successful career for himself now, out of oh, yeah. uh, following the passion. Yeah, I know, a, I know a guy from Ireland who moved to Silicon Valley. He spent all of his youth playing computer games, and he built a a, a web communications and design firm. And now he has clients like Tesla and Google, and I mean it's amazing. And it all became because he really understood the gaming culture. Yeah, well, there's um, there's definitely a big thing going on with the gaming culture now, and I think women are even you know um, coming coming past males in, in the in the industry as well, and getting more involved in it, and um, you know all that. But where is the line between you know following a passion, doing something that you know might seem to others like you're just wasting time? Uh, but for you, it brings you an immense sense of joy and, and purpose even. Where is the line between that goofing off and ambitiously using it to create a life that actually is going to be, um, you know, allowing you to leave a legacy of some kind? Well, that's a decision that every person will have to make. And that's why I say it's it's a mistake for parents to support their adult children while they're on a path of discovery. If their path of discovery is through computer games, that's fine. But the, but the young, peop, young adults need to understand that they have to support themselves while they're doing that. So this is a big because difference. That, yeah. that, it's that process where they will, they, they will think, unless they're in total denial, and some people are, but, but they're a you know, small minority of people who stay in denial. But that process of having to support themselves while they're while they're indulging their passion, they're going to figure out ways. Their creative mind is going to kick in, and they will figure out ways to leverage uh, their passions. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you know, again, taking ownership for for what you're doing, and um, you know, supporting your own pursuit of passions is, is great. And if you can't take your passions to a level that's satisfying, a you know, a certain level of lifestyle, then you're going to fall back onto whatever career that might be for you um, until you do, or otherwise you just find that happy balance between, you know, doing your passions and, and doing a career on the on the side as well. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. One of my college roommates went on to be a clinical psychologist, so he works with families, um, and he often, what often brings a family in to, to use his professional services is a, is a teen that seems to be going off the rails but sometimes the parents think the teen is going off the rails where all the all the teen is doing is discovering their passions in a way that the parents hadn't expected. So my friend, the psychologist, told the story of a, of a family like that, and, and they thought their son was hanging out with the wrong people, and, and he didn't seem to be interested in his homework, and 
and the parents wanted him to do very well in school so he could go to the school, the university that the father had gone to, which happened to be the University of Southern California. Hmm. And so my friend, the clinical psychologist, talked to the young man and discovered the young man had a real interest in cars. He loved car. He loved everything about cars. He loved car engines. He loved tuning the software to extract more horsepower out of the engine. And these kids that he was hanging out with were not bad kids at all. They were just other kids who liked cars. And all, all of them were from the affluent, upwardly aspirational families that he was. So the parents thought he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Yeah. And so th- this is what the parents totally missed this. They were so blinded about the kid that he should go to the University of Southern California. And that meant that he had to get good grades, et cetera, et cetera. They missed supporting. They weren't listening. They were what they were. They were uh, seeing, um, but but they weren't uh, seeing the larger lesson of where their son's heart was. Yeah. Now you know what can happen when that a kid like that he goes. Um, he may decide that he gets a job at an auto repair shop. Um, maybe maybe that's the catalyst that uh, says to him, "No, I really need to go back to college." But this, but now I know what I want to do. Or the entrepreneurial gene kicks in and he goes, I can manage an auto repair shop better than these bozos do, you know, and, and he goes and he starts, you know, he starts a string of automobile repair shops yeah. and becomes, you know, great entrepreneur in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got to stop blocking uh, future generations from, you know, pursuing, pursuing their interests and, and telling yeah, them they've yeah. got to follow the, the status quo and the path that the most common follow. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's a particular sin of uh, white-collar educated families right now is that they they assume that their kids, if their kids don't follow the same path, you know, that somehow they've taken a wrong path. Yeah, yeah. What is the – I guess there's – I mean, you've talked about the, the harms a little bit, you know, with following the the common path in life. Um what is the harm that can come from not following your own journey and discovering your own passions and pursuing those things that you love? I got a real insight into the harm when I talked to a psychologist at Stanford University named Carol Dweck. She wrote a best-selling book oh, yes. called Mindset uh, back in 2006. Just read it, yeah. Yeah, great, great book. She also teaches freshman psychology. And I said, congratulations on the success of the book. Man, you, you know, you, it's a real hit. You've sold millions of copies. Uh, Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, tells everybody at Microsoft to read, a, read it, et cetera, et cetera. It must make you feel good, Carol. And she said, well, it makes me feel good that the corporate world and the business world and the entrepreneurial world has discovered it. But I'm sad that the educational world is not yet. And I said, well, tell, tell me what you mean by that. And she leaned forward and um, and uh, said with 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 a uh, sort of a somber note in her voice, she said, "The kids I see at Stanford today now Stanford is a university where only three percent of the people who apply get in. It's very elite, very hard to get yeah. into, yeah. and you have to get good grades and you have to get good test scores, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got all these kids who've spent their whole you know childhood." aiming to get into a school like Stanford, and how do they feel when they get in? Are they jumping for joy, like they've made the Olympic team? She said they were, they're they in terrible shape. 
She said they're exhausted, they're brittle, and they don't want to mar their perfect records. These are 18-year-olds who mm. are brittle and exhausted and don't want to mar their eight, you know, perfect records. Yeah. So, because they've been pushed, pushed, pushed. They, they've given no, they've not allowed them themselves a chance to go out and discover what they do best because they're living in fear of their, what their parents and community thinks. They're doing everything their parents and community and school system has encouraged them to do except that they hate it. I can't tell you how many um, in, in, the, in the U.S., uh, a lot of uh, early achieving academic people, people who got the good grades and got into the good schools, go on to become doctors and lawyers. Well, doctors have one of the highest suicide rates among uh in you know among adults in the United States, oh, yeah. I can't tell you how many unhappy lawyers I've met who uh, they did all the right things. They they went to a, a good university, they got into a good law school, they studied hard, they became a lawyer, and then they discover they hate it. Hmm. Yeah, but you know what? But they're making pretty good money, so now they're stuck in a career where they make decent money and they hate it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean it's so common. There's there's so many people out there that are stuck in in jobs that they just don't like, and I guess it's um, you know a cause of of the education system and parenting that you know we don't really give ownership for people to go out there. We're just we're trying to force them into a path of life that isn't their own, and and that's no chance for them to then take responsibility once they are released into the real world. I mean, if that's how the education is, then once we're there, we're waiting for someone else to push us again. Hey, what do I do next? You know, we're not going out there and exploring it ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and to put it in your framework, which you so uh, well do, you know, we're, we're the hidden why. Well, who's hiding the why? <laughs> you know, um, outside expectations may be hiding the why. And so these kids never, never get to the why. They don't have time to get to the why because they're getting up at four in the morning to try to get straight A's in school so they can get into an elite university. And so this path of discovery, you know, it's the, it's the hidden why, the deepest well of motivation and inspiration and purpose that, that people, a lot of people, they've been led by society to believe that that's a trivial pursuit rather than the most important pursuit of all. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. It's um, you know being internally driven, and yeah, throughout our upbringing, it's it's not the case at all. We're not encouraged to be internally driven. No, we're not. We're, in, we're not encouraged so, to conform. Yeah, and so you and I are coming at this. We're we're seeing. I think um, uh, we're 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 looking at this at the same way, albeit by our but our, by our different mechanisms, but. But uh, I know you want to cause and I want to cause a revolution that gives people permission to go out and discover their why, their passions, their purpose, and their talent. Their talent may be very unconventional. Hmm. But the risks of giving people permission there, I mean, what are the risks there? Because I can, I can sort of think of a few that, that I've been through and experienced, but I see other people going through as well. What, do you, what have you found that are the risks of trying to shake things up and, and doing things different and trying to encourage people to go out there and do their own? Well, I think the biggest risk is the one I mentioned, that if you're trying to do that while you're expecting people to support you to do that, right. yeah. you, you, won't really, you won't really do that. You might think that you're doing it, but you won't really do that Yeah. Uh, because, because there's no urgency. Um, you have to feel a little it, – it's you have to get comfortable with the idea when you go out on your own to declare independence and you're taking on that responsibility that with with that will come a periodic self-doubt, will come periodic anxiety, 
I have a whole chapter on self-doubt in the book because I think popular culture does a disservice when um, it, it advises people to just, uh, you know, <clears throat> puff themselves up, stand straight, throw their shoulders back, improve their body posture, fake it till you make it, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and pretty soon you become a confident person. If you act like a confident person, you become a confident person. And I, there's some truth to that. I think it will get you through a pinch. But as a lifelong strategy, you need something deeper as well. And that deeper thing is, okay, I, I never invite self-doubt into my life, yet it seems to happen. Just like clouds get between me and the sun. Uh, you know, Even in sunny Queensland, I guess that happens, I've, I've heard. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> Self-doubt shows up like clouds. It was uninvited. It always seems to show up at the worst possible time uh, when you're trying to, you know, make a big sale or you're trying to do something like that. We need tactics to deal with self-doubt that are not BS, that are not some simple life hack, but a, a but really a strategy that will get better over time. Hmm. And that's where I go back to this idea that if you can wall off your self-doubt from your self-worth and you say, I haven't, I have inherent self-worth, okay? Now I'm going to look at this doubt, self-doubt as I would is if, if I were advising my best friend how to look at self-doubt. And the answer, the, the truth about self-doubt is as annoying as it is, as unwelcome as it is, it's always delivering valuable information. Hmm. It's telling you something. It's telling you maybe you're not prepared. Maybe the passion that you're following is really still not really your own passion, but you think it's the passion you're supposed to have. Uh, maybe you just need more sleep, uh, and you you know tomorrow you won't feel uh, racked by self doubt. But if we can if we can see self doubt as a deliverer of information that very well could be useful, then we won't run and hide from it or try to fake our way out of it. We can actually extract the you know the useful thing that it is telling us. That's why I say in addition to all the things that that uh, can be useful in a pinch to, to, you know, to bump up our confidence and bull our way through a particularly difficult period. We need that strategy of, of accommodating ourselves to self-doubt. It's never going to infect our self-worth. It is delivering information. Figure out what that information is, then put it, put it off to the side and move forward. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of those things like self-doubt that make us uneasy or uncomfortable, um, are generally signs that we need to be looking at it, you know, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, uh, looking at it, maybe, you know, if we've got a close friend or, uh, you know, talk to them about it, it's normal. Uh, one of the things that the research makes very plain is that the high performers in every field uh, don't don't have any less self-doubt. You can, you know, you can be an Academy Award-winning actor, you can be a professional athlete, and uh, self-doubt turns out to be good because it keeps you from being lazy. Hmm. Uh, Complacent. Complacent. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's a normally occurring thing. Learn how to make friends with it. Don't don't let it you know run you around. Um, but don't uh, don't hide from it. Just say, okay, you've shown up once again, self doubt, you bastard. Now tell us what your information you're delivering here. Thank you very much for telling me that. Go sit out. You know, go take yep. a chair. Going to move forward with this new information. Hmm. That's relevant, or that's irrelevant, or yeah. How can how can it actually be of benefit? Um. And that's like failings in life, you know. When we fail, that's uh, there's always lessons and learnings that we can take away from there to to use us to grow and, and move forward. Another lesson, uh, the, I have a chapter on the book, uh, how culture 
affects us and how uh, another chapter called it's about repotting this idea that sometimes we have to move out of our culture we really have to take if we feel that we haven't blossomed we really have to take an honest look at whether our, we got bad messages from our family bad messages from our community or whether the people that we're hanging out with now or the company that we're working in now whether it is truly supportive it truly has our best interests at heart a lot of people particularly young adults you know you develop wouldn't, not what I would call really close friends, but you have those acquaintances. They're good enough friends. They'll keep you from getting bored. They're people that are kind of kind of fun to hang out with at night and on the weekends and go to bars with and, and so on. But they really may not have your best interests in heart because if you suddenly start to bloom and they're not blooming, um, you know, the, the, the tall poppy syndrome kicks in. Yeah. And so that's why looking at the looking at everything from where you live, the company that you're in, the people that you're associating with, you may need to make some changes. That's part of that responsibility. If you're going to go out and declare your own independence and get on your own journey, then you may have to leave some things behind. Yeah. Yeah, and I think going back to that question of the, of the risks of encouraging people to go out there and pursue their curiosities and passions and things like that, um, again, goes back to that that point of getting out there, and once we're in there, we're, we're really not exploring our own curiosities. Happy, we're still looking around us, look, comparing ourselves to others, following um, other footsteps, and and that's not always a bad thing because it can lead to own self discoveries. But we're doing it in a way that's we're not taking responsibility. We're being supported, um, and if we keep comparing ourselves to the others, we'll feel like, hang on, I'm trying to do similar things, and I'm not getting anywhere near the level of success that they're doing, you know, by creating a, a YouTube channel or something like that, you know, so they can become very disheartened and even depressed about the process of, of failing. Um, and again, it comes back to that, that obsession with early achievement. We think we're, we're going to um, go out there, follow our passions and discover some greatness straight away rather than enjoying the journey, enjoying the process and, and just being content with our, our lot in life. And realizing it's a long game. It's not It's not a short game. Yeah, it is a long game and it's getting longer. I mean, if we take care of ourselves, uh, if we don't self-destruct, then we're probably going to live longer than we think we're going to live. Yeah. That's really been the, the, the trajectory of medicine and, and everything else. Um, and so we've got time. Hmm. We've got time to make our mark. And, and, and so one of the things that we may need to repot away from is social media itself. Yeah. We believe that is it is uh, that that we become addicted to it, and you could say that about all um, all addictions, whether it's alcoholism or drugs or sex addiction or uh, social media is now another. Um, you know, if you take all, all the things that I mentioned, sex, drugs, alcohol, social media, what's remarkable is that ten percent of 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 people who are exposed to any one of those will. Uh, you know, will fall into some form of addiction. Five percent of pretty severe addiction. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So where, I mean, in regards to the journey, um, appreciating, uh, you know, becoming a late bloomer in life potentially. Um, where to from here? How can we how can we wrap this up nicely, Rich? I would say that the, the most important thing that you can do is to declare independence and go on that journey to, to find that perfect alignment of your deepest gifts, your deepest passions, and your sense of purpose. It's your sense of purpose that will give you the courage 
to follow it. That's why it's think of it as a as a triangle of those things. Your your gifts. Have your gifts been fully been fully tapped? I didn't realize that my best gifts, which were uh, had to do with the magazine publishing industry and publishing in general, uh, I didn't really discover that until I had the chance to start a startup magazine, um, and then I was able to take all those Sports Illustrated lessons. Passions. Yeah. It's good to be passionate, but but it's the passions you're willing to sacrifice for not to other people's expectations because you love the passion so deeply that you want to lean into those. And then that sense of purpose. And when you have those three, as I said before, you will feel pulled. So for late bloomers, I would say that the biggest clue that you're looking for is that you're feeling pulled and you're getting things that you didn't think you had. A lot of people who become entrepreneurs discover or are afraid to become entrepreneurs or take chances because they they think of themselves as shy or introverted and they'd never be able to sell anybody anything. And if you're an entrepreneur, if you're going to start your own uh, self-directed path in life, um, you're going to have to sell, learn how to sell people. Hmm. Uh, you're, you're going to have to become that person. Well, what I've seen when people are pulled is that even introverted and shy people suddenly get the ability to do that because what they're selling is so is 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 their purpose, their why. Mm. Well, they're, that, they're, that, they're owning it. Yeah, they're owning it, and they get excited about that. I've seen people who have always thought of themselves as passive. You know, I'm not the kind of aggressive person that could ever, you know, the, the world today seems to be uh, only the, the hyper-aggressive seem to get ahead, and I, I'm never, I've never saw, seen myself as that kind of a person. When you're pulled, you'll get more and more of that power. You're going to get a courage that you didn't think you had. Hmm. So the vert, I would, I would think of being pulled, not being pushed. And you'll be, you'll, your best prospects of being pulled toward your own ultimate blossoming or blooming is when you align your, your gifts, your passions and your purpose. Yeah. What I'm just reading into as you talk there is, I mean, about that little equation, really, a lot of it's about to me anyway, being in the moment with your gift, your passion and being purposeful in each moment. And there is very little of a very little focus or attachment to a certain outcome or goal. And I think that's where a lot of people get caught up in with this early achievement obsession is that we're thinking, okay, we're going to go out here. We're going to follow this path because that's really what I love to do. And then in three years time, we're going to be a millionaire, for example, simple example. But what, we, what you're saying is that go out there, follow your passions, be purposeful, have good intent, um, and then just enjoy that process, enjoy the journey, and things will bloom as as naturally as they should. Yeah, and I think you have to have, you do have to have a daily plan. Hmm. There's a venture capitalist uh, in Silicon Valley named Ben Horowitz, and he has a saying: "Do the hard thing first. You get up every day, and there's something that you might think is a little hard to do, and you put it off." Learn the habit of doing the hard thing first, yeah. Because then you get yourself into a momentum and you start building confidence for the day. But to your point about timetables, I was great. My biggest mentors in my life haven't been so much in business; they've been coaches in sports. My dad was a high school athletic director, so I grew up in a very athletic home. And two of the most respected coaches in the history of coaching in United States sports. Um, 
One was Bill Walsh, who uh, was the great coach of the San Francisco 49ers American football team, led him to several Super Bowls. And then there was a basketball coach at UCLA named John Wooden. And um, they both said something to your point about uh, don't get caught up in the timetable. And that is, do you know, the results will take care of themselves. Yeah. If doing if you're doing what you need to do you're playing to your best strengths you're getting up every day and doing the hard thing first you're doing it you're learning to tackle or you know you're learning to address your self-doubt head-on and not run away from it that's the kind of thing that if you do that every day the results will take care of themselves yeah 100 percent, absolutely I mean, if you, yeah, and you know too when you're doing what you have to do. I mean, you will know whether you're um, taking the piss <laughs> and not being responsible for that process or when you are genuinely doing everything you can um, in that process. And yeah, if you are, then yeah, the results will flow. Yeah, that's why doing the hard thing first is an excellent piece of advice because you do that and then the rest of the day you, you've already got some cruising speed. And you can get things done. You're building confidence throughout the day. And if you're not doing the hard thing first, then your whole day is filled with anxiety because, you know, in the back of your mind, you've you've taken a piss on that. Yeah. You know, you, you know it, it, it still awaits. It's still out there. It's still undone. And that could be making a sales call that would seem hard. It can be dealing with an employee mm-hmm. that's hard. It can be dealing with your situation, your own situation at work. Um, and whether you belong, you know, you're really blossoming at the company that you're working for. It could be any of those. Do the hard thing first. Absolutely. There's a book by Brian Tracy called Eat That Frog, which is along the same lines. And I read that book and, um, my daily focus changed from that point and, and for the better. So it's, um, yeah, Yeah, there's certainly some value in that. I like what you do, Lee, getting up early and getting, you know, getting the exercise done early, putting your, uh, 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 really paying your own mind and body the respect that it deserves. Uh, and that gives you a lot better chance of doing the hard thing first. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> it is, it's not always easy, uh, especially in winter, but, uh, you got to do it. Uh, Rich, look, it's been a pleasure, mate, having you on the show. And I want to encourage all the, uh, listeners today, um, to go up there and, and pick up a copy of your book. I'm going to stick a link in the show notes guys. So you can use the link and, and support the show, um, and grab a copy of late bloomers, by Rich Carl, Carlgard, and um, you've also got a website there, Rich, which is www.latebloomer.com. Uh, Rich, yeah, com, and that will also take you to the to the Late Bloomer book website too. Okay, Rich Carlgard, I'll put that in there. That's good. Cool, man. Any uh, closing words? Um, yeah, go Warriors. Their backs are against the wall tonight. <laughs> uh, by the time you're um, uh, listeners hear this uh, it'll have been resolved one way or the other but, it, but it's been a fantastic journey i take great inspiration from those kind of sports stories we all have to find our own moment mentors even if we don't know them and they don't even know uh we're learning from them and i've found so many of them yeah. in coaching and in sports it's, yeah, it's so true well mate you go and enjoy that game and uh, once again thanks for taking the time to come on the show really appreciate it thank you very much lee Guys listening out there, um, please check it out at thehiddenwhy.com. This is episode 798. There you go, 2 off 800. 798, thehiddenwhy.com. You can check out all the show notes and the links within. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. 
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon